If I were to choose a, a title for today's message as we continue our series, Pain Management, how to get through what you're going through, I would simply title it From Bitter to Better. That's God's desire for each of us. And this message may not be for everyone, but I know that it is for those in particular who are stuck in the place where they were wounded last. You've heard me say it before. When you uh, complete your grief, you can continue your growth. Most people are stunted in their growth because they haven't completed the grief cycle and they're still stuck in the place where they were wounded. And so many of us as Christ followers are grappling with this condition called arrested development because your bitterness has become your prison and you're still stuck in the place where you were wounded. Now today's message is not for you to think about all the people who should hear this. Hmm? This message is for the man in the mirror. That's who this message is for, including myself, including myself. Because if you've lived long enough, somebody has mistreated you. Somebody has spoken ill of you. Somebody may have betrayed a trust, a confidence. And if we don't learn how to deal with those betrayals, if we don't learn how to deal with those conflicts, those seasons of conflict, we will find ourselves caught in a cycle of bitterness. And notice what the scripture says in our anchor text, which is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and 15. Hebrews 12, verses 14 and 15 from the New International Version, the NIV. It says, make every effort. Notice that the writer is saying you need to prioritize this. This is not something you ought to put off until a time when it's convenient for you or a time when you're desperate enough that you have to do it. He's saying as an act of your will, be intentional and be deliberate. Make every effort to do what? To live in peace with everyone and to be holy. For without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Uh, he continues his exhortation and his admonition in verse 15. And he says, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root. One translation says root of bitterness. That infers that bitterness has a tendency to get deep down inside of you. Ha, the effects of this toxic emotion are not shallow. They are roots that go deep down into your spirit and contaminate you from the inside out. And his admonition is do everything within your power to make sure that you don't allow a root of bitterness to grow because it'll do two things. <laughs> it's going to cause trouble and it's gonna defile a whole lot of people. I want you to hear what I'm saying. This root of bitterness that you are entertaining, the root of bitterness that you are feeding, the root of bitterness that you are allowing to take root in your heart is going to cause you trouble and it's going to defile many. <sighs> it's 
said, Pastor Ray, hey, I really wanted to come and hear seven steps to my breakthrough. <laughs> come on, somebody. I know how church folk are. Hmm? Five steps to my increase. Remember I told y'all that I had a conversation with a pastor. The pastor asked me, hey, man, what's your core message? And uh, after some thought, I, I said, look, this is what I believe my core message, our core message is. Thank you, baby. It's to help Christians cultivate a mature, biblical, Christ-like response to life's successes and life struggles. So the messages you will hear from this lectern, from this platform, from this pulpit, will be messages that spur us on to maturity. At some point, as Christians, we gotta move on from milk and develop teeth and digestive systems that can handle some steak. We gotta get off the Jolly Ranchers, the Nowalators, and at some point, you gotta start eating some broccoli and some Brussels sprouts and some green beans and some asparagus. Because people, yeah, black eyed peas as well. Come on, somebody, in Jesus' name. Collards, hand cut collard greens. Candy yams, my wife said. Come on, somebody. Gotta move on. And, and, and so the messages you hear, hmm? come on, somebody. Sometimes it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt going in. Hmm? But it's going to heal coming out. Right. What's going to come out of you will be healing. So come on, City Church, let's, let's, let's be grown. Hmm? We have children who want to be grown. Hmm? When it comes to the word of God, let's, let's, let's be grown. Every now and then, let's, 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 let's have a steak. And sometimes eating that steak means I got to look at myself and realize that I'm the problem. Hmm. It is so easy to blame everyone else for what's not right in my life. But one of the greatest observations that I have made is that when things are not right in my life, it may not be a result of what other people did to me. It could be a result of my response to what they did to me. Y'all miss what I said. We focus on what someone did to us rather than considering what our response should be in the face of what they did to me. Hence, we put our quality of life, whether we're happy or sad, squarely in the hands of somebody else. If you treat me right, I'll be happy. If you don't treat me right, I'll be sad. No one should give another human being that much power over them emotionally. Let me, let me you need to hear that crystal clear. Nobody deserves to have that much power over you. Refuse the urge to give anybody permission to have that much control over you. 
You control the thermostat that determines the temperature of your life. And this is what we do. We take that thermostat and we say, oh, you set the temperature. Meanwhile, you burning up. You hot and sweaty. And you wonder why, and you're frustrated, complaining to everybody, but you put the thermostat of your life in somebody else's hand. So now you have to deal with the temperature they set. Let me go back. The temperature you have allowed them to set. Nobody, nobody deserves that much emotional equity in your life. Somebody say, I'm taking it back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what we do. We're taking it back. We're taking it back. We're taking it back. Uh, so, 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 so. Have you ever realized that uh, um, uh, sometimes you just meet people that are like porcupines? Can't touch them. They got a whole lot of good points, but nobody can get close. That's an indication that you might be bitter when you become untouchable. When people are too scared to even get near you and touch you. People are too scared to even say something to you. People would rather step back and hold their words than to say what they feel. You may be a bitter porcupine. Okay? <laughs> if you're sitting next to a porcupine, don't look at him. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I don't want to be responsible for what happened. Mm-hmm. You wonder, people say, sometimes say, I, I ain't got no friends. It could be that everyone who could have been a friend, who tried to get close to you, got poked in the process. Don't even realize you're a porcupine. And you're driving away the people who are trying to get closest to you. And the reason is, you're bitter. You're making this person pay for what that person did that you haven't resolved. Are y'all with me? Oh, but, but, but bitter people aren't only like porcupines where you can't get closer to them. Uh, 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 bitter people, some bitter people are like icebergs. Cold. 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 I, I, I mean, like, like a wall. Uh, uh, it's not that people get close. They have decided, I ain't going to let nobody get close to me. And we become these icebergs that are, they're polite, but they're indifferent. They're cold and disaffected. Oh, 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 then he got the other, the other version, characteristic of somebody who's bitter. Uh, 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 Crybabies. Yeah, sometimes there are people who are bitter, who are like icebergs. There are some who are like porcupines, you can't touch them. And then there are some who are crybabies, who wallow in self-pity, who see themselves as victims. And here's why they do that. Because the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Have you had anybody in your house who was sick? Everything in the house revolves around that person. Your schedule, when you eat, when you leave the house. And there are some people in life who have not dealt with their bitterness who expect 
everybody to respond to their victimization. And if you don't come when I need you, then I found a reason to cut you off. Because people always look for reasons to justify their bitterness. Instead of saying, I'm bitter, they say, these people don't love me. These people are mean. The problem ain't the people. The problem could be you. And how many of you realize that the same characteristics of people who are bitter, who are, who, 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 who are like sick people who demand attention, is the same characteristics of a baby. Because that baby going to tell you when you're going to sleep. You're going to stop what you're doing to change their diaper. You're going to stop what you're doing to feed them. You're going to stop what you're doing to change their clothes. And the minute people who are bitter don't get the attention they demand, they go on somewhere else. And they start to demand that same attention from other people. The problem is wherever you go, there you are. You can move from Dallas and go to Philadelphia. It's going to follow you there. At some point, you got to realize that the only common denomination in all this stuff I'm experiencing is me. And maybe it's not people. Maybe it's me. So, 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 here we go. Here we go. Y'all ready for this? (laughs) We're going to talk a little bit about the anatomy or the chronology of bitterness. Point number one, point number one. In fact, the, the question should always be, how did I get here? How did I get to this point? That's the question. Because bitterness always has a period of germination. <laughs> There's the germination of bitterness that creates the root of bitterness. The root, we're talking about the root of bitterness because that's what the writer says. He says, do not allow, allow a root of bitterness to spring up in you. Germination requires two things. You got to have a seed and you got to have soil. Everyone who grapples with bitterness has first of all opened themselves up to a seed of bitterness and then it is followed by soil, the right conditions for that seed to grow. Notice the conditions have to be right in order for the seed to grow. So what are some seeds of bitterness? Let me tell you some seeds of bitterness. Hurt. Somebody hurt you. Somebody hurt you. And let me tell you about hurt. Hurt can be intentional. Where somebody deliberately sets out to hurt you, to wound you, to harm you. But there are times that you can be hurt by something that was unintentional. In fact, there are some of us who are holding people to things that they didn't even realize they did. And we're walking around with seeds of hurt that are beginning to germinate in our lives and the people didn't even realize what they did. Because hurt can be intentional. Yes, this person deliberately set out to hurt me. Hurt can also be unintentional. Man, I, I said that, but I, man, I, I didn't mean that. Oh, here's another one. Hurt can also be imagined. Because in human nature, we have a tendency to tell ourselves stories that aren't true. I can't believe she said hi to everybody and walked right past me. 
Oh, I'm going to another church. <laughs> Man, I, honestly, I did not see you. And they're over there in that circle talking. And she just looked over her shoulder like that. They must be talking about me. And I can't believe her. people are so clickish. Ain't nobody stunting you. You're telling yourself stories. And now all these seeds are planted in your heart, which is the soil. But the condition of the heart's got to be right for those seeds to stay. Because it's possible to be hurt and that seed of hurt not have anything to attach to because of the condition of your heart. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's possible to be mistreated. It's possible to be abused. And that, that hurt not have anywhere to stick. Because the condition of your heart is inclined to honor God. But let me tell you where, where the soil conditions are right for hurt to stick. A heart that harbors hostility. There are some people that just have a heart that just, they will just hold on to everything. No matter how big, no matter how small, they will hold on to everything. Even the tone and inflection of your voice. Well, why are you saying it like that? No, I just said I love you, baby. Well, why are you saying it like that? Bitter. No, it wasn't you, baby. <laughs> it wasn't you. It wasn't you. Soil. And so now, over time, the seeds have been sown. The seed of hurt, whether it's intentional, unintentional, or imagined. Ooh, here's, the, here's the other one. Unresolved offense. Woo-wee! And most people go through life, and, and, and they have these seeds these seeds of unresolved offense. Notice what the scripture says in Proverbs. A brother who is offended is harder to win back than the bars of a prison. When someone is offended, it is easier to bend the bars of a prison than it is to win that person back over. And the scripture calls offense the bait of Satan. That's why the scripture says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. The word that he uses there is a Greek word called scandalon. And scandalon is the hook to which they would attach the bait. And what Paul was saying is, when you let the sun go down on your wrath, you will cross over into bitterness. You will cross over into offense. And now you've taken the bait of Satan. He's got you hooked and you don't even know it. Because now you're in offense, and it's harder to win back someone who crosses over into offense than it is to bend the steel bars of a prison. Y'all hear what I'm saying? The question becomes, what seeds have I allowed to germinate in my life? And the second question is, how's my heart doing? What's the condition of my heart? Do I have a heart 
that is conducive to hostility so that these seeds continue to grow because it's a big, big deal when my heart becomes the soil that harbors hostility. Characteristics of bitterness. Here it is. How do I know I'm bitter about something? Harshness. Bitter people are also critical. Bitter people are judgmental. Bitter people have a tendency to be sarcastic. Bitter people are often filled with anger. Here's the one more. Bitter people are hypersensitive and touchy. Can't say nothing around them. Got to walk on eggshells when they show up. If that's the way you do life, you might be bitter. Oh, here's another one. Bitter people express little or no gratitude. When people are bitter, they have very little to say thank you about because their life revolves around a victim mentality. You can't be a victim and give thanks simultaneously. You can't be bitter and be grateful simultaneously. Look at your life and look at those people in your life. How, when was the last time you just said thank you? When was the last time you just said thank you? Or did the words coming out your mouth always refer to what someone did to you or what someone didn't do or what someone should have done? You could be bitter. You could be bitter. Oh, oh, here's another. They harshly criticize others and they vainly flatter them. They, they, they might flatter you, but it's vain. It's empty. It's shallow. Because they don't really have the capacity to praise somebody else when they're in pain. Oh, here's one more. Oh, they hold grudges, find it hard to forgive others. <laughs> they begin to look for things to find fault with. Are y'all with me? They begin to find things to find fault with. Can, can, no, I, I won't go there. I'll go say, I'll go say, I, I, won't, do, I won't do that. Now, the danger of it is that this is just the root of bitterness, and the root of bitterness is easy to hide. It's easy to camouflage because it's not always visible to the naked eye. But then we start to see the fruit of bitterness. Can't see the root, but eventually you're going to see the fruit. Something's going to pop up on those branches of your life. The evidence is not in the root. The evidence is going to be in the fruit. And let me tell you what, what that looks like. Point number two, point number two, uh, the devastation of bitterness. Uh, we talked about the germination, how it comes, how it attaches itself to our emotions and our lives. But, but it, it, it's devastating, and this is the fruit. Dr. S.I. McMillan wrote a, a book several years ago, called None of These Diseases. He is a Christian, but he's also a medical doctor. And after thorough research, he identified 50 diseases, 50, five, zero, 50 diseases that are directly connected to bitterness and other toxic emotions. 50, five, zero, 50 diseases. because of the things we hold on to and won't let go. Are y'all with me? 
So notice in verse 14 or verse 15, it says the reason we don't want the bitter root, the bitterness to take root in our lives is because it will cause trouble. Let me tell you what bitterness is. It will cause trouble. It will cause it physically. It will cause it emotionally. And it will cause trouble to you personally, spiritually. But not only personally, the, 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 the toxin and the contaminant of bitterness will affect you personally, but it will also defile many relationally. How many of you know that bitterness is contagious? It spreads on contact. It spreads on contact. And that stuff that you are not dealing with, you are passing on to others. Where other people are taking up your offense. So you're mad at sister so-and-so, and instead of dealing with sister so-and-so, you go talk to sister this and that. Sister this and that ain't got nothing to do with what's going on between you and sister so-and-so. But now all of a sudden, sister this and that, mad at sister so-and-so. Because your bitterness has now become contagious and it spreads on contact. Uh, he, he, here's the other thing. Are y'all with me? Y'all still tracking with me? It's not just contagious, but bitterness will set off a chain reaction in your life. Let me tell you something, City Church. It doesn't only stop with your bitterness. Bitterness is like a gremlin. Don't give it no water. Don't let no water touch it. Even. Don't feed it after midnight. Because if you do, this cute cuddly little thing is going to turn into something that you didn't prepare for. Y'all ready for this? I'm talking about bitterness now. Look, 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 look. They did you wrong. No matter who they are, I don't know what you went through. They did you wrong. But this is what the scripture says. It says, be angry. Ephesians 4, it says it. It says, be angry. And you've heard me say this before. Anger is a God-given emotion that notifies you that you or something you care about has been mistreated. It would be abnormal for me not to be mad at someone mistreating my wife or mistreating my kids. It would have been abnormal for Jesus to walk into the temple and see them using it as a place of business, most megachurches today, and not turn the place upside down. It would have been abnormal. Jesus was filled with righteous indignation because something he cared about was being mistreated, and that's the house of God. Your anger in and of itself for things that are just and right is not wrong. God gave you that emotion. That's why Paul said, be angry. Be angry and sin not. That in your anger, it should never be justification for doing something wrong. Because bitterness sets off a chain reaction. Are y'all with me? Uh, can you put Ephesians chapter four? Ephesians chapter four, let's put verse 26 on there. I'm about, come on somebody. <laughs> I didn't even get to, my mind. come on somebody. We'll probably finish this next week, okay? Chapter four, verse 26. Chapter four, verse 26. There it is. It says, be angry and do not sin. Be angry, comma, and do not sin. 
Just because you're upset about being mistreated doesn't mean you're wrong to feel that way. I'm helping somebody now. I'm helping that person who says, no, I shouldn't be angry about that. The devil is a liar. You better be angry about it. You better be angry about what is wrong. But we're talking about pain management. You can manage your anger and your displeasure about mistreatment. Notice, he says, do not let the sun go down in your wrath. Don't let this thing, don't, don't sit on it. <laughs> because if you sit on it, it's going to set off this chain reaction. Here's the chain reaction. It starts in verse 30. Let's jump to verse 30. Ah, Lord, help us this morning. Help us this morning. This chain reaction, man. It's a chain reaction. Here it is, uh, verse 30. It says, uh, uh, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Verse 31, here it is. Uh, Let all bitterness. Here's a chain reaction. <laughs> it starts with bitterness, but bitterness soon becomes wrath. Let me tell you what wrath is. Wrath in the Greek is a slow smoldering heat. <laughs> a slow smoldering heat. No flames, just heat. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all know what I'm talking about. When you sit on it long enough, you sit on your bitterness long enough, it quickly turns into a life that stays on low simmer that never goes off. You live your life on low simmer. Everybody come around you, man, what's that heat? That's how you live your life, on low, smoldering heat. Uh, it, it, it quickly becomes anger. Notice wrath, in the Greek sense, is always internal. Just on the inside, in your emotions, you live on low simmer. But here's the chain reaction now. You were bitter about something, and now that thing is taking on heat. The wrath is internal, but soon it becomes anger, which is an external expression of an internal wrath. I'm talking about the chain reaction now. It goes from being a smoldering heat, and now everybody can see the fire. Where did it start? It started with bitterness. I mean, let me give you the next one now. Next one, it says, and clamor. Let me tell you what clamor is. Clamor is just a word for speaking. Because now you're angry and somebody got to know about it. Somebody got to speak. Some, some, and we start to spew. We don't just talk about it, but it becomes evil speaking. Listen to what the scripture says. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the overflow, one translation says. You know how you can determine the condition of somebody's heart? Just listen to their words. Because out of what's the overflow of their heart, the mouth will speak. You ain't got to tell me what's going on in your heart. You have an open heart surgery every day with your words. Every single day, it reveals what's in your heart. Here's the chain reaction. Here it is, malice. That word translated malice... <laughs> is a desire to hurt or destroy someone. 
Somebody say acrimony. Come on, Tyler Perry in the house. <laughs> when it goes from simply being bitter to that low simmer to an external expression of anger to evil speaking, now you're in that malice mode and I'm going to destroy him for what he did to me. Oh, I'm going to take him down. <laughs> you heard the old adage. Hell has no fury like a woman scorned. Oh, I'm going to bring him down. I'm going to bring her down. I'm going to bring them down. I'm going to do everything without my power for as long as I live to dig up everything I can about them to destroy them. Where did it start? With bitterness. It sets off a chain reaction in our lives. If you find yourself wanting to hurt somebody, destroy somebody, harm somebody, you bitter. If you find yourself speaking evil about others, you're bitter. If you find yourself just talking nonsense and rubbish all the time, grumbling and complaining, you bitter. If you're angry about something, all that, you bitter. If you live on low simmer, you are bitter. You are bitter. And it is a root that has gone deep down and has contaminated your spirit. Notice what it will do. It will cause you trouble physically emotionally and spiritually, and it will defile and contaminate many. You'll see it expressed in all of your relationships. Bitterness. Why is this important? Because bitterness is an acid that destroys the container. It destroys the container. It destroys the container. It destroys the container. Point number three, and this is where I close. The eradication of bitterness. We already talked about the germination, how it comes and how it stays, how it attaches itself to us. Uh, we talked about uh, the chain reaction and the fact that it's contagious, the fruit, so we, we can identify, okay, you know what? I might be in that bitterness zone. I'm bitter about something. I'm bitter for some reason. I'm not even sure what it is, but I know I'm bitter because I see this fruit. I see the evidence in my life. Man, I, didn't, I couldn't see the root because it was, it was underground, but, but I see the fruit. I see the fruit in my life, and I'm bitter. How do you get rid of it? Here you go. This is how you get rid of it. Number one. <laughs> Let God reveal it. And that's what God is doing right now through his word. I'm just a delivery boy. Let me tell you why God has to reveal it. Psalm 139 says, search me, O God. Hmm? Search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me. God, you do the searching. Because if I do the searching myself, there's a whole lot of stuff I'm going to overlook. There's a whole lot of stuff I'm going to pretend doesn't exist. And let me tell you the second reason God should do the revealing. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9 says this. The heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things who can know it. Talking about your heart. So, so now I get very, excuse me for the baptism. I get very careful when people say, I just want you to hear my heart. Sounds so good. 
But Jeremiah 17 and 9 says, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Your heart can tell you stuff and make you believe stuff, but if your heart ain't right, if your heart ain't in the right place, the very thing you've been trusting is the very thing that's going to deceive you. That's why Jeremiah said the heart is, and he said it's desperately wicked. Who can know it? Listen to, city, listen to the city church. The reason I've got to ask God to reveal it to me is because a deceitful heart cannot diagnose itself. God, reveal it to me. Am I bitter? Am I mad? Do I have unresolved conflict? Because again, remember, wherever you go, there you are. You can change cities. You can change spouses. You can change friends. It's right there with you. Uh, 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 so uh, let God reveal it. Number two. Hey! It says, let grace remove it. Ah, sometimes there's certain things that you can't do with your own power and you can't do with your own strength. You got to say, Lord, help! Because this hurts too much. Yeah, you try to uproot it, you just can't. It's, it's stuck there. It, it's just in there. And sometimes you just got to say, Lord, help me with this right here. Because I can't get it out of my mind. I can't get it out of my heart. This thing... It's been attached to me, not for weeks, not for months, decades. And I'm still as mad today as I was then. Let grace remove it. I promise you I'm about to let y'all go. Corey Ten Boom, Corey Ten Boom, wrote an incredible book several years ago called The Hiding Place. Their family was Dutch, but during World War II, they would hide Jews uh, in their home because of Nazi occupation. So the Ten Boom family uh, were sort of this refuge. And as Nazis were free, fleeing Germany and crossing over into, into the Netherlands, they would hide them temporarily until they could get to safety in England and other parts of Europe. So somebody found out about what the Ten Boom family were doing. And they too were arrested and they were subsequently taken to a Nazi concentration camp. I believe Corey uh, was uh, about 10 years old at the time. Uh, God miraculously delivered them and brought them out of the concentration camp, but her older sister Betsy died while in the concentration camp. Her book recounts the horrors of the things that they experienced at the hands of these Nazi officers. But after her, and here's some pictures of Corey. Uh, after her conversion experience, she felt compelled to go back to Germany and share the love of Jesus with the people. And so one day she's at a church in Munich. And this is how she, I'm talking about allowing the grace of God to remove the root of bitterness. I'm talking when you can't do it yourself. You don't pray, you don't fast it, you don't roll, but it still lingers. She recounts this story. It said, it was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavyset man in a gray overcoat. He had a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. 
People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken. And they were moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to defeat Germany with the message that God forgives. Notice, she's coming to preach to the people who had mistreated her, and her message is God forgives. It was the truth they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land, and I gave them my favorite mental picture. She said, when we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean and they're gone forever. And that's when I saw him. Right when she's talking about forgiveness, right when she's preaching this message about the sea of forgetfulness, she sees him. And by him, she is speaking of a particular Nazi officer who tortured, tormented, and abused her and her young sister. Right in the middle of preaching about forgiveness in a church, she sees somebody she didn't expect to see. Hmm? It says, one moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, and in the next moment I saw his blue Nazi uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbow. She's looking at him, and she sees this old man, but at the same time she sees the guy who abused her, just got through preaching about forgiveness. She said, it came back to me with a rush. All of a sudden, she's having flashback now. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of clothes and dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man, meaning when I was in the concentration camp, this man that sat in this church, he saw me naked when they abused and tortured and mistreated me. And I just got through preaching about forgiveness and I'm standing face to face with somebody who hurt me that I didn't expect to see. It's one thing to prepare your heart. It's another thing to be surprised and come face to face with the person who is the reason for your bitterness. And and, and so she says, She starts talking about her sister. She said, Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home, and my sister died in the concentration camp. Now he was in front of me, and his hand reached out. (laughs) Oh, Lord. And this is what he said. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. Isn't that something? When the person who did you wrong is preaching your sermon back to you? Oh man, this is good. My sins are forgiven, but you got to deal with what I did to you. But my sins are forgiven. And he reaches out his hand to Corey Ten Boom. Great message. <laughs> I don't know about y'all. I would have been like, homie the clown. Homie don't play that. Be like, (laughs) this is serious stuff, y'all. Let grace remove it. Uh, uh, So let me finish the story. Uh, uh. And she said, and I, who had just spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook, rather than show him my hand. 
So she's been preaching on forgiveness. Dude reaches out, shake her hand, and she, you know, y'all know how we do. Y'all, y'all know how we do, right? <laughs> she acted like she's fumbling for something in her pocketbook. This whole preacher of forgiveness. She said, I don't think he would remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. He said, you mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. He didn't remember me, but he went on and said, but since that time, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. I'm talking about a mature, biblical, Christ-like response to life's successes and struggles. Say, man, I'm forgiven, but I need to hear you say it. Ah. <sighs> <laughs> she said, I, I just stood there. I whose sins had every day to be forgiven and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Her sister died there. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply by asking for it? She said, it could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do but I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If we do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive yours. Ah, let me jump ahead. Let me jump ahead. Said, and I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart, but forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Y'all hear that? Forgiveness is not an emotion. Forgiveness is not something I do because I feel like it. It's something we do because it's right. She prayed silently. Jesus, help me. This is just a handshake. But she realized that to even shake the hand of the man who had mistreated her was too much for her to do it in her own strength. She said, I can lift my hand. I can do that much, but you supply the feeling. Say, I can, I can shake his hand. But as far as I'm concerned, I'm dead emotionally. If there's going to be any feeling with this handshake, God, you're going to have to supply it. And she said, and so mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. She said, the current felt like electricity. It started in my shoulder and it raced down my arm and it sprang into our hands. And this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. And then I uttered these words. 
She said, I'm going to start with a handshake. God, you supplied the feeling. Now she opens her mouth to say it. I forgive you, brother, with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did in that moment. Let grace remove it. Final thing, number three. Let good replace it. The worst thing you can do is leave a void where bitterness once resided. Y'all hear me? Let grace remove it, but let good replace it. Romans chapter 12 and verse 21 says, do not repay evil with good. I mean, do not repay good. What does it say? Do not repay evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. Last statement I'm going to make. This is how we live free. This is how we live free. Always remember, hmm? always remember, man. <laughs> ah, this is freedom from bitterness. Now, how do we eradicate it? We let God reveal it. Let God tell me, man, you bitter. Let the grace of God remove it and let good replace it. And here's why. When we forgive. Yeah, give me that. Give me that right there. Give me that right there. Worship team, go ahead and come on down. When we forgive, City Church, and when we confront our bitterness, this is what we do. When we forgive, we set two people free. And you are one of them. I want you to hear that. When you forgive them for what they did to you, you set two people free and you are one of them. So this morning, with every head bowed, every every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. And I'm praying for me. (laughs) I'm praying for me. Because God wants us to live free. He wants us to walk in liberty. And the way we do that is to confront bitterness that might be lurking in our hearts. He wants us to deal with it. He wants us to deal with it. So right now, right where you are, if there's someone, if there's someone, if there's someone who has been a source, a reason for bitterness, maybe there were that seed of hurt or that seed of offense, Let God reveal what bitterness might be lurking in your heart toward that person or those persons. And right now in this moment, in your own words, ask God for the grace. Like Corey Ten Boom said, Jesus, help me. Maybe that's all you pray, Lord, help. And then replace it. Replace it with good. Replace it with good. Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name. And we thank you, Lord, for your word.